0: We are about to witness one of the greatest events in human history. The world as we know it is crumbling before our very eyes, and the majority of the world population is not aware of it. Power structures that have been in place for thousands of years are taken down as we speak. Soon we'll be shown evidence of an elite plan, so evil, so all-encompassing, that people will be shocked to the core. This documentary was made to help you deal with what's coming. Is it a good thing? Oh yes, it's the best thing that could possibly happen to us. But in order to understand and process the quantum leap that we as humanity are about to take, you must understand the reality, the timeline if you wish, that we as a species were placed in. And believe me, you don't have a clue just yet. The evil I mentioned has been working behind the scenes so intelligently, so brilliantly, that hardly anyone ever noticed a thing. What I'm going to do is first of all give you a short overview of things that made me go hmm. Things that made me decide to start digging for the truth. We'll take it from there, shall we? Are you ready? Join me on a journey down the rabbit hole. Let's start with the recent forest fires, for instance, in California. Did you know that these fires forgot to burn trees? That they were capable of cutting through houses? That they burn trees from the inside out? That they were able to lift cars, tilt them and smash them down? Are you sure these are ordinary forest fires? And how about this one? We live in a world where mercury is considered highly toxic, but not when we inject it into children in absurd quantities. No doubt you've heard about chemtrails denied by our governments for a long time, but recently acknowledged and referred to as geoengineering aerosols. They are sprayed into our atmosphere to protect us from global warming. The thing that makes me go, hmm, however, is the fact that we are sprayed with heavy metals, which are stored in our brains, where they have proven to cause Alzheimer and Parkinson disease. And did you know that in many countries, among which my own Holland, we have to explicitly say no to organ donation for if we don't, our organs will be property of the state as soon as we are declared brain dead? The last time it was arranged this way by law was during the Nazi occupation. Did you know that our current Pope is the first to state that hell does not exist, but the devil does? Isn't it weird that the Vatican's audience hall? is full of references to reptilians, snakes, serpents? And did you know the Vatican's telescope is called Lucifer? And since when does the Pope make the sign of the devil? 9-11 Whereas one bird can cause terrible damage to a plane, On 9-11, two planes managed to cut through steel. A third plane mysteriously disappeared in a building, and number four plunged into the earth without leaving any debris or bodies. The planes were piloted by terrorists, who only had had a few flying lessons in a small chestnut. Then there are the horrid attacks on innocent people, in which the same victims can survive up to three different attacks. This lucky young man survived being shot in the head. All he needed was a Band-Aid. And thank God not all victims are people of flesh and blood. What do you think about this one? Are you a parent? Are you aware of the fact that children cartoons contain subliminal messages of sex and violence? Why? Did you know that fully grown fetuses can be legally aborted in many American states? That advocates of full-term abortion state that unborn babies cannot feel pain? Whereas every doctor knows that the nervous system is the first to develop in foetuses? Is abortion of a fully grown baby not the same as murder? Okay, let's have a look at the migrant caravan. Thousands of people fled their South American homes to look for a better future in the US. The trip covered 2000 miles in one and a half months in order to be on time for the American midterm elections as a political statement against President Trump. This means they walked an average of 45 miles a day on flip-flops. Barefoot. Like this. And like this. 45 miles a day? Why do Hollywood celebrities promote the use of facial creams containing the foreskin of baby boys? Do you realize that these foreskins are actually sold? That it's a trade? What's next? Drinking baby blood? Now, I'm going to give you five more, although I could go on forever. Counting down, number five. Did you know that diseases such as AIDS zika SARS and Ebola are actually patented do you know when something is patented when it's man-made man-made diseases are you kidding me number four your cell phone laptop tablet and your TV contain spyware that works 24 7 no matter whether your device is switched on or off This means you are constantly being monitored. Each and every conversation whether at home or at work is recorded. Why? and by whom? Number three in 2018 Monsanto known for its genetically modified seeds and crops plus its poisonous weed killer Roundup was bought by Bayer, a chemical giant that produces mostly poison. In other words Our food supply is now largely controlled by the producers of carcinogenic poison. Monsanto started off producing Agent Orange, a very powerful and highly toxic chemical used during the Vietnam War to eliminate forest cover and to destroy crops. But it turned out to do just a little bit more than that, causing horrific birth deformities and various types of cancer. According to experts, the fusion of Monsanto and Bayer was the perfect match made in hell. Number two, in 2018, Hillary Clinton admitted that she deleted 33,000 emails from a private server used as Secretary of State. Not only that, she used a hammer to smash her cell phones, SIM cards and hard drives. Any further evidence that could have been used against her in a court of law was destroyed by fire that conveniently started in the office of a mansion. Did she actually get away with that? And last but not least, number one. President Obama received the 2009 Nobel Peace Prize only months after his inauguration. Why, for God's sake... He came from nowhere and had achieved nothing at the time. In the following eight years, he invaded seven countries and dropped a bomb every 20 minutes. Who on earth was on that Nobel committee? The world is not what you think. And guess what all of these things have in common? They were completely ignored by the mainstream media. Not one news channel covered or questioned any of it. And just when I thought I'd seen it all, this became president of the US. I always thought there were two political sides in life, left and right. Left was for the common people, right was for the rich. But I soon found out that my ideas did not reflect reality at all. Obama seemed to have enchanted everybody, including myself, with his good looks and charms. But like I said, he invaded seven countries. He was a Democrat, for God's sake. And Democrat Bill Clinton went from one sex scandal to the next, lying under oath and getting away with it. Maybe left and right were simply two wings of the same bird? In spite of my leftist upbringing and background, and my fierce opposition against Trump, I decided to give him the benefit of the doubt. But how did he get elected in the first place? Just before the elections, WikiLeaks arose. Founded by Julian Assange in 2006, WikiLeaks is a giant online library of the world's most censored documents, obtained by whistleblowers at the highest level. Much information deals with war, spying, and corruption. Now, just before the presidential elections, WikiLeaks published highly incriminating evidence of the corruption within the Clinton Foundation and the Clinton presidential campaign. So, what happened? That happened. On January 20, 2017, Donald J. Trump was inaugurated as President of the United States of America. But how did WikiLeaks obtain the evidence of the Clinton corruption? It was leaked by an employee of the Democratic National Committee, Seth Rich, who was subsequently found dead with two bullets in his back. Who killed Seth Rich? We will find out in the next episodes. What do we have for now? Donald Trump as President of the U.S., And then, out of nowhere, arose the enigma of Q. On October 28, 2017, a mysterious post was placed on 4chan, an anonymous internet bulletin board. It contained nothing but codes. This was the beginning of a new phenomenon. The Q posts, soon to be transferred to Achan due to hacking, became more and more intriguing and popular among the so-called QAnons, anonymous people who are wary of the lies of the mainstream media and who've gone searching for the truth using other news outlets on the internet. I will get into the identity of Q later on in this documentary. Q communicates with the people by means of the Q posts, drops or crumbs that we, the anons, pick up and decipher. The Q crumbs portray a better world, without wars, treason and corruption. A world after the Great Awakening. Q uses words and short sentences that keep coming back. Sometimes the cue drops are short and to the point. Initials are used instead of full names. Sometimes they contain a lot of information. And sometimes combinations of letters and numbers are used for us to rearrange. The queue clock was introduced and it took us quite some time to figure out how to read it. And then there was the queue map containing an incredible amount of vital information. The map was made by Dylan Lewis Monroe. It contains an overview of the true history of mankind and its covert power structures. Q is not a cult, as suggested by opponents. After all, it tells us not what to think or what to do. It merely gives us questions, clues and riddles. We need to do the research in order to find the answers. And that is how we discover the truth. Through this research, I've come to find out more about American and global politics than I'd ever dreamed of. I was never really interested in politics, but the Q-drops opened my eyes to a whole new world. A world of secret societies. Secret services within secret services and secret deals made on a grand scale. A world with shadow governments, with an excessively rich 1% of the world population that actually runs the world. Not our political leaders, not our presidents, but a very small group that we refer to as the Illuminati or Cabal. I learned about an evil master plan to completely dominate the world, And the ordinary people like you and I, we know nothing. We get up in the morning, we go to work, we pay our bills and our taxes, we watch TV and go to bed. Not knowing that there's a battle being fought over our heads for world dominance. A battle between good and evil. This is what Q is pointing out to us. But we, the Anons, have to do the research. And we do. Like nerds, like an army of digital autists, we connect the dots. There is a war going on for world dominance, for the absolute submission of the masses. How is this achieved? By the constant waging of war. By the introduction of the Federal Reserve Bank and Central Banks. By trafficking, drugs, oil... And people. The only two American presidents who tried to break down the power of the elite, beginning with the banks by printing their own interest-free, debt-free money, thus bypassing the Federal Reserve System, were Abram Lincoln and John F. Kennedy. What else did they have in common? They got Murdered. Now, why are the banks so important? What exactly is the Federal Reserve and its central banks? The Federal Reserve is the central bank system of the US. And in spite of the very misleading word federal, the Federal Reserve and all central banks around the world are privately owned. They are not government institutions. They are owned by some of the most wealthy and influential families in the world, two of which are close to the top of the power pyramid, the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. The Federal Reserve was set up in 1913 after quite a bit of opposition from the U.S. government and some very wealthy people, such as Benjamin Guggenheim, from a very influential mining family, Isidore Strauss, head of Macy's department stores and politician, and John Jacob Astor, businessman, inventor, and probably one of the wealthiest men at that time. The wealth of these three men in those days was approximately $500 million, which today would amount to something like $11 billion. These men were so rich they could not be bought, not by any bank. What else did they have in common, apart from money, power, and opposing the creation of the U.S. Federal Reserve? They all died on April 15, 1912, when the ship they traveled on hit an iceberg and disappeared in the cold ocean. Coincidence? Let's just say the Titanic disaster was highly convenient. The rest of the opposition was easily cornered, US Congress was bypassed. The Fed was created illegally, unconstitutionally, something not many people are aware of. Let's have a look at the visible top of the power pyramid. There we have the Rothschild family. In short, this family owns most of the world. They own each and every central bank. They own the Federal Reserve. They controlled the International Monetary Fund. They controlled the World Health Organization. They financed both parties of every war since the war against Napoleon. They financed the Bolshevik Revolution. They financed Hitler and the Nazis. They financed the production of IBM's punching machines for an efficient prosecution of the Jews by the Nazis. And they had equities in Exxon and IG Farben the dealers of Zyklon B-Gas for the Nazi gas chambers. The estimated net worth of the Rothschild family is $500 billion. When you have that much money in power, you can poke the chest of the Crown Prince of Great Britain like he's your bitch. And when you oppose their power and try to stop them from taking over your banking system, By setting up a central bank in your country that loans money to you at insane interest rates that you can never pay back so that your country becomes the eternal slave to the Rothschild banking system, as happened to every country around the world, you are either ousted or killed. Your country will be invaded and blown to smithereens in the name of democracy, supported by the mainstream media that portrays you as a dictator. The same applies to those who refuse to accept the almighty US petrodollar. Oh, and there's much more, but we'll leave that for another time. The Rothschilds are not the only ones dominating the world. They are just part of the 1%, the elite. Another family of great influence are the Rockefellers. They made their initial fortune through oil, That fortune led to massive industrial influence. Influence in American politics, the banking system, and the pharmaceutical industry. They founded schools and universities leaving a huge imprint on what should and should not be taught to our children and students. The Rockefellers further expanded their tentacles of power into the medical world and into hospitals. They now own the Rockefeller University with its Academy of Medicine and the Academy of Sciences, the International Health Foundation, the American Cancer Society, The Drug Trust, the American Medical Association, and the FDA. Everything was in the hands of the Rockefellers. They further infiltrated the educational and medical system by means of the Rockefeller Foundation, giving grants to specific research programs, such as the research and development of vaccines. For instance, against Ebola, yellow fever, Zika, the flu and Gardasil, which is further developed and promoted by billionaire and partner in crime Bill Gates. Every case of dangerous side effects such as miscarriage, autism, sterility, seizures, paralysis. And death was brought before the FDA and cleared. And all of the above was promoted by doctors and the media, where the Rockefellers had placed their representatives at the highest levels. Even presidents assured us it was safe. All use of alternative healing was demonized and prohibited, while the treatment with drugs and the drug dependency were pushed down the political agenda. The Rockefellers were also responsible for adding the toxic chemical waste product fluoride to our water and toothpaste. And as usual, the media spread lies about its healing qualities. No doctor or dentist ever tested its efficacy. They simply told their patients what they'd been taught At the Rockefeller institutions. Yet another field of interest was the genetic manipulation of crops. The Rockefellers own millions of shares of Monsanto stock as does their partner Bill Gates. The mutual interest in eugenics which aims at improving the genetic quality of the human population will come as no surprise. Back in Nazi Germany, the Rockefellers financed the horrific eugenics experiments performed on Jewish people, trying to create a superior master race. So, in short, two very powerful families that rule the world and its population are the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds. And guess what? They are not even the most powerful. There are other families that exceed the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds both in money and in power but I will not go any deeper into that at this stage we'll save that for later shall we There's one more man I want to put in the limelight right now George Soros described by the mainstream media as investor and philanthropist his net worth 25 billion dollars Soros was born in Hungary After World War II, he moved to England and then on to the U.S., where he made a fortune with his hedge funds and his merciless ways to manipulate the financial market, using crises to further increase his own wealth and expand his power. He prides himself in taking no responsibility for his actions and the destruction he caused to literally millions of people. I quote, I am here to make money. I cannot and do not look at the social consequences of what I do. Sora strikes me for his choice of funding. For example, Nambla, the North American Man-Boy Love Association. Their goal and their slogan, Sex before eight before it's too late. This is their mascot. Why does this great benefactor support a pedophile club such as Numbla? Then there's Antifa, the anti-fascist movement. When we look at their actions, we see nothing but violence. They show great resemblance with fascism, which is rather strange for an anti-fascist movement. Even one of their flags is weird in that sense. Why would anyone finance such a thing? The same goes for Black Lives Matter. Why sponsor a movement that pretends to be left-wing, but shows nothing but riots and violence in practice? Do you want to know what we're dealing with here? Then follow me to part three. The migrant caravan that headed to the southern border of the U.S. in April 2018 was covered by the media big time. According to the official reports, these people came mostly from Honduras, where the caravan had started, and then people from Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua and Mexico joined the march. The main reasons for them to flee their home country were gang violence and poverty. When I saw the first pictures, I was shocked. But then I realized there were just too many images of women and children, which is always a sign of media manipulation and a hidden political agenda. Always. Critical thinkers like the QAnon studied the pictures closely. Too many things did not add up. Like I said in part one, these people had to walk for 45 miles a day each and every day for one and a half months. But these people don't look exhausted. They're not dirty or sweaty. I mean, look at them. Their clothes are clean. Clean babies. Clean pants. They wear labels. They are well fed. These people aren't refugees. They're not poor. I traveled through Mexico, Guatemala and Honduras and I saw poverty. Believe me, these people are not poor. 45 miles a day on flip-flops? Are you kidding me? Or even barefoot? Come on, where are the blisters? And why aren't they carrying what is needed for a journey like that? Blankets, food, water where are the spare diapers? Some people do have small backpacks, but they appear to be brand new. So what did happen? First of all, buses and vans were deployed to transport all of these people from Honduras to the US border. Flip-flops? No problem. You only have to get out of the van occasionally for a group photo. Next, in order to get as many people as possible, you pay them. Thanks to some alert annons, this was filmed on site. Then, in order to be efficient for the media, you give the main players a coloured wristband. Brilliant! Different colours have different meanings, all known to the reporters and the cameramen. Some people overact. Others are really convincing and make it to the World News Report. Meet Maria Meza and her five children, all the way from Honduras. She made it to every news item on TV, telling about her terror. Terror the fear for her children, their eyes all wet and swollen due to the tear gas that the American Border Patrol so viciously threw at them. Well, Maria, there are a few flaws in your story. I've looked at every single picture of you and your beautiful girls. None of them show any signs of tear gas. This picture clearly shows that you are the only ones in action. The cameraman shoots away, completely unhindered by the gas. There is no panic. Let's have a closer look at this picture. Cameramen are standing in a line of smoke, yet have no problem with that. Oh wait, look! Somebody is throwing a gas canister. Is that a fellow refugee? Maria told the press that her son went back the next day to get the canister and show it to the reporters. Shame on you, America. I do hope Maria was paid handsomely. I really do. But her story sucks. The family was photographed on another day getting out of a van for yet another day's work in front of the camera. And the tear gas canister? You can buy them at any theatre property tailor. Or you can use the police training variety. They produce white smoke, but no harm is done. I guess Trump's statement was correct. No tear gas was used on the children. The entire mainstream media coverage of this event was biased and flawed. My advice to the producers, next time, pay more attention to the details, for the anons are on to you. Refugees who walk for thousands of miles do not walk like this, or like this. They don't wear flip-flops. They don't have brand-new pink buggies. They do not polish their nails. They don't wear iron shirts. Neither do they have perfect haircuts and makeup. When they say they flee their country because they're so poor they can't even buy food, don't show them with digital cameras and iPhones. Refugees who walk for thousands of miles are not clean. And for God's sake, pay attention to some of your supporting actors. photoshop someone into a picture make sure you don't forget his leg oh and make up your mind will you do you want the shirt on or off and what's with the Disney obsession when you really want to know what's going on in the world you have to do the research, just like Q keeps saying. And when you do, you will see what's real and what's not. The migrant caravan was a staged event with a political motive. Who was behind it? Who financed such a great event? George Soros. That's right, our great benefactor, George Soros, connected to the pedophile club Nambla and the rioting in violent Antifa and Black Lives Matter. How do we know he's behind all of these so-called social movements? Well, it's not really a secret. According to an analysis of his tax filings, he invested $33 million in the notorious Ferguson riots alone. Soros promised everyone who participated in the massive protests $15 an hour, in the case of the migrant caravan, all they had to do was play the part of all refugees looking for a safe haven. Money, new clothes, food, toys, and an extra bonus if you play your part well. Who'd refuse a job like that? Soros made a mistake by not fulfilling his financial promises. So then we had more riots. This time by angry actors who demanded payment. Videos of Antifa members shouting, Soros, Soros, where's our money? went viral. Yet everything was hushed up by the mainstream media. So, what's his motive? Why would anyone invest so much money in these massive and well-organized movements? To destabilize a country to create division. Division by skin color, by political wing, by religion, by gender. A divided people is easy to rule. A united people is not. Let's go back to the Q phenomenon. As we've seen in part two, Q strongly emphasizes the importance to unite United we stand, divided we fall. Q portrays a better world without wars, treason and corruption. And whether you like it or not, the task to get there has been put in the hands of Donald J. Trump. Now normally when I say this to people, I get the most vicious looks. Thanks to the mainstream media, the majority of the Dutch people believe Trump to be a narcissistic dictator. But hey... Let's talk some facts here, shall we? Trump went to North Korea. He'll start a nuclear war, the media shouted. But he came back with peace. Six million new jobs have been created under Trump. Lowest unemployment rates since 50 years. More than four million people off of food stamps. Trump openly attacked Big Pharma. He created the biggest tax cuts ever for all social classes. He is the only American president ever to work for free. He signed an executive order to clean the oceans. Did you hear about that on the news? No. For some reason, the mainstream media have a political agenda of their own. But more about that later. From my point of view, one of the most important priorities of Trump is to protect the children. Right after his inauguration, he stated that his administration would focus on ending the horrific practice of human trafficking, also referred to as modern slavery. On December 21, 2017, he signed an executive order blocking the property of people involved in serious human rights abuse and corruption. More executive orders followed to protect victims of human trafficking. A huge campaign was deployed to educate parents and children about the dangers of human trafficking. Throughout 2018 and 19, many arrests took place. Thousands of child molesters were arrested. Thousands of victims were rescued. Trump keeps emphasizing that most victims are smuggled into the country through the southern border. He shows numbers, statistics. He made January Human Trafficking Awareness Month. He informed the people about MS-13, a criminal gang responsible for raping and killing many American citizens. He swore he would take them down to the last member. He keeps emphasizing the drugs problem and the billions of dollars plus the countless lives it costs each year. He keeps pleading for a wall, anything to reduce the drugs and human trafficking numbers as much as possible. But the mainstream media keep twisting his words, making it sound like immigrants aren't welcome I have watched these interviews time and again and I can assure you that according to President Trump, immigrants are most welcome, but they have to come in legally. The funny thing is, Bill Clinton wanted a wall, Obama wanted a wall, Hillary wanted a wall, They all voted for a wall when they were still in the Senate. I'm talking about the 2006 Secure Fence Act, passed by a Republican Congress and signed by President George W. Bush. It wasn't a problem back then. But now all of a sudden, Trump is an immigrant hater? The more I study the subject, the more I understand why Trump is bashing fake news. But more about that soon... Back to Trump's war against human traffickers. For years, whistleblowers at the highest levels have been stepping forward with testimonies about child trafficking for the elite. This is nothing new. It was just never dealt with until now. The thing is, when I talk about this in my presentations, people don't want to hear about it. They don't want to look at these pictures, which I understand. I would rather look away as well. But that reminds me of the famous one-liner of the Germans right after World War II, After being confronted with a painful question, "How could you let the Nazi atrocities happen? Why didn't you do something?" The answer was always, "Wir nicht gewusst." We didn't know. Of course they knew. It was just too painful and too dangerous to acknowledge it and to do something about it. Well, I will not look away any longer these kids are not held by our denial they are held by our action so for god's sake keep watching we are the only hope they have left child trafficking for the elite that is bigger than pedophilia we are talking about a huge criminal organization kidnapping children and selling them to high-ranking officials from mayors judges, and senators, to presidents, and even royalty. Do you think this is far-fetched? Do you think it's just a conspiracy theory? Get ready for some conspiracy facts
1: in part four. In 2010,
0: right after the devastating earthquake, 33 children were smuggled out of Haiti. The woman who was arrested, Laura Gayle-Silsby, said they were orphans who were about to be adopted in the U.S. Upon investigation, however, it turned out most of these children were not orphans. They were later reunited with their parents. Furthermore, there were no adoption papers to be found. These kids had simply been abducted, Stolen from their parents. Who exactly is this Laura Gayless Silsby? First of all, she was on the board of directors of Alert Sense, the company that provides the technology for Amber Alert. Amber Alert is the broadcast emergency response to recover abducted children. Isn't that an interesting paradox? A convicted child trafficker? Yes, she was found guilty and convicted. Connected to Amber Alert, set up to rescue children? Secondly, this lady is the founder of the Baptist organization New Life Children's Refuge, an orphan rescue mission for Haiti. Sounds to me like she had a ways to smuggle children out of the country real easy. Nice cover. Last but not least, she's a close friend of the Clintons, who immediately paid for a lawyer, Jorge Puello, who himself is a convicted pedophile he was arrested and convicted for leading an international human trafficking ring involving women and children all of this came out into the open thanks to WikiLeaks that published the secret emails between the Clintons and Laura Gayle Silsby let's continue with Haiti some more before moving on shall we Haiti was put in the limelines once again with the Oxfam scandal Oxfam, known for its shops throughout the world for empowering women and for fighting poverty, was banned from Haiti following the 2010 earthquake. There were orgies with prostitutes, some of which were underage, in other words, with children. Leaked emails further confirmed that $3 million were diverted from Haitian relief funds via the Clinton Foundation to pay for Chelsea's extravagant 2010 wedding. When Trump called Haiti a shithole, the whole world went mad, but he was right. What he referred to was what the so-called non-profit organizations had turned the island into after the earthquake. The Red Cross collected half a billion dollars for Haiti and all it did was build six houses. The Clinton Foundation ruthlessly misappropriated the earthquake donations from international donors and got away with it. Klaus Aberwein, a former government official of Haiti, due to testify about the Clinton corruption, was found dead with a bullet in his head only days before the trial on July 12, 2017. Monica Peterson, the young social anthropologist who went to Haiti to investigate human trafficking on the island and who tweeted some critical thoughts about the Clinton Foundation, was found dead by hanging shortly after, in November 2016. Her death was ruled suicide. And when surgeon Dr. Dean Lorick openly vented his disgust about the corruption by the Clinton Foundation that he himself witnessed while trying to save lives on the island, He, too, ended up dead. In December 2017, he was found on the bathroom floor of his apartment in New York with a knife in his chest. His death, too, was ruled suicide. But hey, let's not dwell on the many suicides surrounding the Clintons. Let's go back to one of Q's often repeated sentences. Symbolism will be their downfall. In 2007... The FBI released a bulletin with symbols used by pedophiles to identify their sexual preferences and to communicate where to find both each other and their prey. The blue triangles identify boy lovers, the pink hearts are for girl lovers, and the butterflies for child lovers in general. These pedophile logos will indeed be their downfall. They are in plain sight for they never thought people would wake up and see and just like we saw with Amber Alert it's the organizations that claim to protect children that actually use pedophile logos for instance the international adoption clinic new star kafala a muslim adoption and child advocacy agency this is the logo for their hope program helping orphans progress emotionally Then there's the Pacific Crest Trade Association. It changed its logo in July 2017, after the pedophile connection in the capital A was discovered by the public. Now, I'm not saying these organizations are proven pedophile dens. I'm merely pointing out the interesting choice of logo, which of course could be totally based on coincidence. This logo eerily resembles the boy lover symbol. It was used by the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation, set up by the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, in honour of his father. This logo was on the 2015-16 Annual Report. Then there's Alpida, a Canadian refuge charity. Alpida was founded by the Radcliffe Foundation, set up and owned by Frank Giustra. Now, apart from the interesting choice of logo, There are a few things about Mr. Deustra that fascinate me. First of all, he's a major sponsor to the Clinton Foundation. We're talking $100 million and more. He loved going to Haiti with the Clintons. And he founded the Boys Club Network for boys between 12 and 18, seeking connection and mentorship. His co-founder is Jim Crescenzo a teacher from Vancouver who received an excellence award from none other than Justin Trudeau. Now once again I'm sure this is just coincidence, but what is it that Q keeps saying about coincidence? How many coincidences before mathematically impossible? For someone who claims to be a decent family man Justin Trudeau sure has some interesting friends. Take Christopher Ingvilsen, a Canadian private school teacher, convicted for the possession and distribution of child porn. For many years, he was Trudeau's friend and roommate. Then, there's his best friend, Peter Dalglish, the world-renowned humanitarian who was caught in the act in Nepal with two children aged 12 and 14. He was the founder of Street Kids International and the Trails Youth Initiative Programme. Now, I'm sure these programmes do great things for kids, But why choose pedophile logos? And why are so many set up by registered and convicted pedophiles and sex offenders? I mean, if you're a pedophile, wouldn't it be great to have your own child protection program? To have access to all those lovely children to pick from? Mind you, these children often come from troubled backgrounds. Some have criminal records. Many suffered from neglect and abuse in early childhood. Easy prey, and no concerned loving parents to protect them. I mean, look at CPS, the Child Protective Services, exposed in 2007 for legally kidnapping and selling children for adoption out of foster care. The lady who exposed them, Congresswoman Nancy Schaefer, was murdered in 2010. Now back to Trudeau's interesting best friends. Here we have Ben Levin, former Deputy Minister of the Ministry of Education, arrested and convicted in 2013 for making and distributing child pornography. Then there's Jan Gomeshi, the Canadian CBC radio host, arrested and charged in 2015 with seven counts of sexual assault and one count of overcoming resistance by choking. Now, I don't know about this, but if I were Trudeau, I'd be more careful selecting my friends. He is surrounded by registered pedophiles and sex offenders. There's another prominent place where the FBI symbols of pedophilia can be found. In Hollywood. We briefly saw in Part 1 that children cartoons contain references to sex and violence. Doesn't that make you wonder who Walt Disney really was? Why are children exposed to Illuminati symbols such as pyramids and the all-seeing eye time and again? And why are pedophile logos used for candy and ice cream? Yet another thing that attracts children. The more I dived into this topic, the more I realized to what extent this had actually drenched our society. Top directors such as James Gunn, who openly and proudly tweet about being a pedophile. I guess this is normal in Hollywood? inspired over these tweets, rightly so, one would think, but only a few weeks later he was back at work. Out through the front door, back in through the back door. Nickelodeon's producer Dan Snyder lost his job because he couldn't keep his hands off of young girls. And here we have Brian Peck, a convicted child molester who only spent 16 months in jail, after which he was offered a job right back with Disney where he continued working with underage girls. Once again, out through the front door, back in through the back door. Jason James Murphy kidnapped and sexually assaulted an eight-year-old boy in 1996. He served five years in jail, moved to California, used his shorter name, Jason James, and became a casting agent for child actors. The list of sexual predators in Hollywood is endless only recently were some of them called out by their victims and arrested. Most victims never dare to speak up for the predators are absolute legends in Hollywood. Actor Corey Feldman was one of the first to speak up about child abuse in Hollywood. He and his best friend Corey Haim became actors at a very young age. They were incredibly successful and famous but the price was high. They were sexually abused by various adults they worked with. It was common knowledge that the two Corys were passed around at Hollywood parties. They resulted in great trauma that was buried for many years. The two Corys sought relief in alcohol and drugs, which eventually led to Cory Holmes' death at the age of 38. It wasn't until recently that Cory Feldman called out his abusers. Eliah Wood, who became world famous for his part as Frodo in The Lord of the Rings, supported Corey Feldman's statements about Hollywood as a pedophile den. Eliah was protected by his mother, who wouldn't let him visit any of the parties where a lot of the abuse took place. World-renowned actors such as Robert Downey Jr. and Brad Pitt also stepped forward to support all of these statements. If you think that sounds crazy, wait till you hear Mel Gibson. The world-famous megastar, both as actor and producer, was blacklisted by Hollywood for stating that Hollywood is a den of parasites who feast on the blood of kids. You took it a whole lot further. Read for yourself. be true eating babies drinking their blood will this have a happy ending oh yes let's move on to part five In part one, we briefly looked at the sexualization of children and the normalization of pedophilia in our society. Innocence is sexier than you think? And what about this clothing store called Sweet and Sexy Kids? What the hell is sexy about kids? At an academic presentation at Cambridge University in June 2018, it was actually stated that the majority of men are probably pedophiles and that pedophilic interest is normal and healthy. The New York Times declared pedophilia not a crime but a disorder. And during two TEDx talks, pedophilia was presented not as a disorder but as a sexual orientation posters were spread. And Cosmopolitan magazine published an article by the hand of a young woman who became a father's lover. Now of course, in order to make all of this legal, the age of consent had to go down, so that having sex with a child would no longer be a crime. No problem judges and politicians at the highest level did their utmost best to take care of that. Not many people know that Patricia Hewitt was General Secretary of the NCCL, later known as Liberty which was affiliated to PI, the Pedophile Information Exchange. Then there's former British Prime Minister Theresa May who thinks pedophiles should be allowed to adopt children too. When you study the patterns of this topic it seems there is a larger plan behind it all. Why is it so important to legalize pedophilia? Why is having sex with children so important? Any psychologist can tell you how harmful it is for children to have sex at a young age. And that consent is a very dangerous concept, as pedophiles often tell their children they are simply demonstrating just how much they love them. Sex is then confused with love. The child cannot comprehend the subsequent feelings of pain, shame, anger and fear. The secrecy put upon them is hard to deal with. All of this results in great trauma. Why then would a society push pedophilia down our throats? Bit by bit, step by step, normalizing it so that we grow to the idea instead of reject it. Why create a society of traumatized people? Why are pedophile logos used in children cartoons, Disney movies, candy and ice cream? child protection centers, adoption agencies, in business and in politics. Meet Sheila Jackson Lee, member of the House of Representatives, proudly wearing her young boy lover ring. What is going on here? Let's follow a lead. Check this out. This still image appears in a video clip of a band called Sex Stains. And this is where it gets interesting. They played at Comet Ping-Pong, a restaurant in Washington, D.C. Best known for its pizzas, ping-pong tables in the basement, high-profile clients such as Hillary Clinton and the Obamas, and a conspiracy theory called Pizzagate. More about which in a bit. Meet the owner of Comet Ping-Pong, James Achilles Aliphantus. When Aliphantus started his restaurant in 2006, he didn't have much according to himself. Yet in 2012, only six years later, he was named as one of the 50 most powerful people in Washington, D.C. That fascinates me. You don't become that powerful by running a pizza place. So, who exactly is James Aliphantus? he portrays comet Ping-Pong as a family-friendly restaurant yet his tweets and those posted on his Twitter account are controversial to say the least. It's clear that Elephanters loves art. Comet Ping-Pong often displays the work of artists with a very specific taste. This is the work of Arrington de Dioniso. Hmm, not a big Trump fan, huh? Why is this on the walls of a child-friendly pizza place? Alessandro loves a good party. Now here's a picture he wishes he never posted. Meet his party friend, Miss Summercamp. What else? He had a love affair with David Brock, political consultant and founder of Media Matters for America, a progressive research and information center dedicated to comprehensively monitor, analyze, and correct conservative misinformation in the U.S. media. In other words, an organization for censorship. Brook's Media Matters received $1 million from none other than George Soros, back in 2010. Brooke also founded Correct the Record, with the sole purpose of censoring all negative reports on Hillary Clinton on social media. Censorship, once again. So, James Aliphantis is definitely a lead we must follow. What else do we know about him? He is best friends with the political top of the US. He is closely connected to the Podesta brothers, John and Tony Podesta. John Podesta is quite a hotshot in American politics. He was White House Chief of Staff to President Clinton, Counselor to President Obama, and Chairman of the 2016 Hillary Clinton presidential campaign. Tony Podesta is a political lobbyist and art supporter. He and his ex-wife Heather collect the work of, for instance, the Dutch artist Martin Feelings. Fascinating, to say the least. They are also great admirers and buyers of the work of Patricia Piccinini, And what about the work of Biljana Georgievich that actually adorns the Podesta's living room? Is Louise Bourgeois. Her work is prominently present in Tony Podesta's mansion. This piece is called Art of Hysteria. It greatly resembles the work of Jeffrey Dahmer, a serial killer who liked to dismember his victims and leave them in a somewhat awkward position. And then there's the most interesting work of Tim Noble a survivor of severe trauma in early childhood, which left her with 13 alter personas. Her artwork shows the horrific things she experienced as a young child like torture and rape. Her work was exhibited in Comet Ping-Pong, our child-friendly pizza place. Now, I don't know about you, but this makes me sick as a dog. The more I studied Pizzagate, the more I realized this was quite likely conspiracy fact, not theory. What kind of a pizza place exhibits naked, abused, tortured raped and even dead children on its walls. What kind of man becomes one of the most powerful people in Washington DC serving pizza? How come the political top of the US, the Podestas, the Clintons and even Obama, president of the US at that time, how come they all want to spend time with a sick perv like elephantas? I think I know. For a while, I thought the name Elephantus was fake. This man was way too powerful to come from an ordinary family. Could Elephantus be a French bastardization of J'aime les enfants? I love children. But then, some anons pointed out he could well be a Rothschild. After some digging, I came across an interesting twist in a Rothschild family tree, starting with Evelyn Achille the Rothschild. His middle name kind of gives it away, doesn't it? He was born in Buffalo, New York in 1886 and died in World War I in 1917. Two years before he died, his illegitimate son, Louis George, was born. But as he wasn't married, his son inherited the name of his mother, Aliphantus. The boy grew up and married Helen Rapuz and had two sons, one of which is Achilles Louis Elephantus, the father of our very own James Achilles Elephantus. His mother's name is Susan Reed Shoemaker. So, his middle name, Achilles, takes him all the way back to his great-grandfather and even further back to his great-great-grandmother, the Italian Marie Perugia. Her father's name was Achille Perugia. In short, James Achilles Elephantus is a real, genuine, full-on Rothschild. That explains his power and his friends. It explains his close proximity to the Clintons, just like his uncle and aunt, Evelyn and Lynn de Rothschild. So, are we to believe that our political leaders simply enjoy pizza and sick art? Is that it? What is it with pizza anyway? Why is it so sexualized? What's with the Besta Pizza pedophile logo, which by the way was quickly changed the moment Pizzagate became an item? Is it all just a coincidence that the Podesta emails Revealed to the public by Wikileaks in 2016... ...contained countless pizza-related words such as cheese, hot dogs, pasta, walnut sauce... When you actually know what those words mean, which is common knowledge in the sex industry, these emails suddenly become shocking. Is why Hillary deleted 33,000 emails for which she is currently scrutinized? Does that explain what Obama meant when he ordered $65,000 worth of hot dogs and pizza flown in from Chicago to the White House in the middle of the night to a private party? Is that why Hillary emailed Obama warning him he needed to be more careful next time? The hot dogs can come, but if you make a spectacle out of it, that will be our downfall. And I think it would be wiser to restrict this activity to our predetermined locations. Really? For a few hot dogs? Isn't it weird that these security camera pictures of children lying on ping-pong tables in the basement of Comet Ping-Pong are shown on the walls upstairs? Who the hell is watching them? And why does their website have a super secured backdoor to a secret division where you can order pizza pictures for absurd prices? This screenshot was made public by a hacker. It's in low resolution, so I will read out loud what it says at the bottom. This month, we have five fresh pizzas for your enjoyment. We also have four surviving pizzas from last month's session. All are on sale at an extremely low price, as they are in poor health and not expected to survive. So a requirement is that you finish eating your pizza after your session. This month's special includes a 30% discount on severe torture. Each image below is available for $1,000 in fine print. Why are they talking about kill rooms, murder, and rinsing it off when you're done? What the hell is going on here? To tell you the truth, at this point in my research, I experienced what we call cognitive dissonance. What I found out was so contrary to my belief system that I wanted to dismiss my discoveries. It just could not be true that the people we trust, the ones we vote for, were so evil. I simply could not handle the facts. How could people so charming and intelligent be part of a child trafficking pedophile ring where children were tortured, raped and killed for pleasure? Or, as I would later find out, for something even more horrific, I felt like I'd ended up in a nightmare. All I wanted to do was dismiss it all. Couldn't it just be all coincidence that the Clintons and the Obamas and Trudeau, beautiful, charming Trudeau, had surrounded themselves with their own friends? If the friends are all pedophiles, that doesn't mean they are, right? And maybe they don't even know about their friends' sexual preferences? I mean, I know Bill Clinton's healer, the Brazilian John of God, was recently arrested for keeping sex slaves You he made pregnant time and again. I know he admitted to selling the babies for thousands of dollars and killing the slave mothers after ten years of giving birth. I know the main whistleblower in this case suddenly died a suspicious death, but come on! How could Bill Clinton have known? And I know he went to the private island of convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. I know he was on the peasant uses 26 times, together with other sex offenders like Kevin Spacey, who was recently arrested for multiple rape accounts, among others, with young boys. But that doesn't make Clinton a sex-raging animal, right? I know he was investigated for the rape of a young boy by Jenny Moore, a former police officer who informed the FBI and the Department for Homeland Security, after which she suddenly died in a hotel room. But that doesn't make Bill Clinton a murderer, does it? I decided to do more research. I needed more supporting evidence. I went back to the artwork. I was intrigued by the bathroom or swimming pool or whatever it was. Where was it? When this appeared on 8chan, I knew I was on the right path. Not just me, but thousands of anon searched for it, and found it. It actually existed. Do you want to know where it is? Come
1: with me to part 6. The swimming pool in the
0: artwork bought by the Podestas actually exists. It is the subterranean swimming pool at Biltmore Mansion in Asheville, North Carolina. This was the home of multimillionaire Gloria Vanderbilt, who recently passed away at the age of 95. Here we have Gloria and her two sons, Anderson and Carter Cooper. Carter committed suicide when he was 23 Anderson is a well known news reporter for CNN. Why does Gloria's swimming pool appear on paintings of tortured children? Is it a coincidence that the little boy so strongly reminds me of Anderson Cooper, Gloria's son? Could there be a connection between her swimming pool and the entertainment with young children for the elite, as mentioned in the infamous Podesta emails? Anderson Cooper son of Gloria Vanderbilt, world-renowned and award-winning reporter for CNN. He was caught overdoing it from time to time, making things look much worse than they actually were. But hey, maybe he's just a bit of a drama queen. At least it led to some funny responses on social media. The question remains, is it okay for a media outlet to deliberately broadcast such exaggerations? Is that honest broadcasting? Is it okay to influence the public with headlines such as these? Is it okay for the Dutch news network NOS to show a twisted version of an interview by BBC's John Sweeney asking Putin about the killings in the Ukraine, where the NOS edited the original interview so that Putin seems to walk away, ignoring Sweeney? Yet the original interview, which can also be found on the Internet, shows Putin taking his time answering the question. Is it okay for several American news outlets to accuse Trump of raping a 13-year-old girl together with Jeffrey Epstein, a convicted pedophile? Is it okay that there's a deafening silence from the mainstream media now that the live records show that it wasn't Trump, but Bill Clinton, who joined Epstein at his parties with underage girls on Orgy Island? Is it okay that Trump's words about MS-13 gang members being animals were totally twisted, obviously on purpose? so that he seems to refer to immigrants being animals? Do you remember the little boy from Syria, sleeping between the graves of his parents? That too was staged and broadcast on purpose as to manipulate the people into yet another war. The boy was paid to lie there. I don't know about you guys, but this is not okay. It's not okay to fake white helmets saving a wounded man right after a bombing, only to have a selfie taken. That's deceit. It's not okay to lie to the public about Syria and the alleged chemical attacks, so that yet another war can be justified. For months we were lied to by the mainstream media. Remember this poor little girl? You probably will, for she was used three times for three different rescue missions in three different months in 2016. I find that shocking. It is not okay to fake attacks on women and children to trigger an emotional response that justifies the invasion of yet another foreign country. I find it horrifying to see the well-designed deceit of Western people who watch and trust the news. Do you remember this one? could go on for hours with examples of fake news, but I think this is enough, for now at least. I'll give you two more to digest. In 2015, during a presidential rally, Trump imitated reporter Serge Kowalewski, whom he had caught lying. It concerned an article from 2001 in which Kowalewski wrote about people cheering the fall of the Twin Towers. When Trump quoted the article in 2015, Kowalewski backed out, saying he didn't remember writing the article. Well, the article could easily be found on the Internet, and Trump called out Kowalewski for his lie. But the mainstream media seized the opportunity and used these headlines. Trump mocks the disabled. Kowalewski suffers from arthrogryposis, but that does not cause the weird movements Trump made. On other occasions, and in exactly the same way, Trump had imitated Senator Jim Matisse, presidential candidate Marco Rubio, a general, and a bank manager who all got away with lies. However, as Matisse, Rubio, the general, and the bank manager were not handicapped, they were of no use to the mainstream media. Kovaleski's handicap, however, went around the world, convincing everybody that Trump looked down on the disabled. And I must confess, I too fell for it. Then, last but not least, for two years, the mainstream media kept pushing the liberal agenda on Trump and the alleged Russian collusion. Whereas on March 23, 2019, the Mueller investigation officially ended and nothing was found. After two years of doing everything they could to take Trump down, they found absolutely nothing. Trump was cleared, yet the mainstream media kept repeating, something has to be wrong with this president. Trump's official innocence is completely hushed up, just like they didn't say a word about the countless pedophiles that were arrested under Trump. Total radio silence. From the beginning, Trump has been warning us about the mainstream media as the number one enemy of the people. And the more I study the subject, the more I understand that Trump is actually correct. The mainstream media uses its power to steer the public into a desired direction. The spreading of disinformation is nothing new. Back in the early 1950s, the CIA set up Operation Mockingbird, a large-scale program in the U.S. with the sole purpose of manipulating news media for propaganda purposes. Leading American journalists were recruited into a propaganda network. In other words, the secret service determined what was going to be on TV and in the news. Has anything changed? No, apparently not. German whistleblower Udo Ulfkotter, high-profile journalist for the Frankfurter Allgemeine, stated in front of the camera that he felt deeply ashamed to have consistently lied to the public for over 25 years. got a died of a heart attack shortly after in January 2017 the illusion of choice we think there are so many channels how could they all be in on it well that's easy this shows you who owns whom do you see it there are only four companies CBS seems to be independent but is owned by the same billionaire as Viacom. When you give people the illusion of choice, they believe they are free. And if you want to find out why the mainstream media pushed the liberal agenda down our throats, all you have to do is follow the money. Who paid major contributions to Hillary Clinton to support her work and the liberal agenda? That's right. CNN, NBC, News Corporation, Turner Broadcasting, Thomson Reuters, Newsmax Media, Time Warner, Viacom, Comcast, HBO, AOL, Hollywood Foreign Press Association, Public Radio International, Public Broadcasting Service, Huffington Post Media Group, Carlos Slim, the largest shareholder of the New York Times, James Murdoch of 21st Century Fox, Judy Woodruff, co-anchor and managing editor of PBS NewsHour, Howard Stringer, former president of CBS, George Stephanopoulos, ABC News chief anchor and chief political correspondent, Maud Zuckerman, owner of New York Daily News and US News & World Report, and The Washington Post owned by Jeff Bezos of Amazon, well known for its censorship of quite a few books on controversial topics. Censorship is one of the greatest dangers to a democracy and to freedom of speech. Three more major sponsors of Hillary Clinton are Google, Twitter, and Facebook. Google and its YouTube are highly active in the field of censorship Just like Twitter and Facebook, it will come as no surprise that pro-Trump posts are among the most censored ones, as are posts of critical thinkers and researchers, and anyone who dares question the official narrative of events such as the ones I presented in Part 1. Pro-Hillary posts are never censored. Doesn't that make you wonder? Remember Correct the Record, A Media Matters for America? Those are the kind of censorship companies that work behind the scenes of Facebook, Twitter, Google and YouTube to delete anything that opposes the liberal agenda. And guess what? Correct the Record is now promoted by Afaz, the global activist network that I once thought so highly of. Afaz was co-founded by Respublica and MoveOn. ResPublica received 250,000 dollars from George Soros. Move on got 1.6 million from Soros. Afaz's founding president and executive director Rick Patel has consulted for the Rockefeller Foundation, the UN, the Gates Foundation and the International Crisis Group with Soros as chairman and Frank Dustra as CEO. Remember our friend with the pedophile logo from part four? Afaz's co-founder is Tom Periello, former Virginia congressman, best buddies with Obama and executive director of the Open Society Foundations of George Soros, one of the main parties behind the notorious and destabilizing migrant caravan invasion. It will come as no great surprise that Afaz strongly opposes President Trump. This is what we call controlled opposition. Like I said, censorship is dangerous. The so-called fact-checkers are dangerous. Snopes is one of them. Set up by a couple from San Fernando Valley, David and Barbara Mickelson. The couple fell out. Barbara accused David of spending 98 grand on prostitutes, which is probably true as he divorced Barbara and married core cool girl and porn star Elisa Young, a.k.a. Erin O'Brien, who is now Snopes' administrator. Snopes' only fact-checker is Kim LaCapria, also known as sex and fetish blogger Vice Vixen. That, my friends, is fact-checker Snopes, There are no researchers, no investigators, no lawyers, no documents to support their findings, and they are strongly politically biased. Yet, they are generally accepted as fact-checker. I find that most shocking. Do you get the picture? Operation Mockingbird never ended. John Podesta, one of the key suspects in the Pizzagate scandal, got his own column in the Washington Post, writing about politics and policies. How the hell is he supposed to give an objective view of Trump, his worst enemy? John Brennan, head of the CIA till 2017, now serves as senior analyst for NBC News and MSNBC. Anderson Cooper worked for the CIA before he became a news anchor. According to himself, it was only an internship when he was 19. But I wonder how many young men are approached by the CIA for an internship. Anderson did not even have the proper education to be offered a job. Yet in no time, he became the face of CNN. The secret services still decide what the people are supposed to think and believe. If they want to invade yet another country, they will use the mainstream media to make you believe that that particular country needs to be freed of a terrible dictator who kills his own people. The real reason for the invasion will quite likely never be known to the public. It'll probably have to do with oil or the installment of yet another Rothschild bank. But hey, who cares? It was in the news that they freed those poor people from their dictator and that democracy was bestowed upon them. And if it's in the news, it's true. End of story. Well, no, it's not. If the media coverage is controlled by secret services, it seems only logical to me to focus on the things they refuse to cover or ridicule. Number one topic that comes to mind, Pizzagate. Debunked by the mainstream media like nothing else. Let's continue with a bit of additional research
1: in part 7. This is
0: Marina Abramovic a Serbian performance artist who likes to display the limits of the body and the possibilities of the mind. She pioneered a new notion of identity by focusing on confronting pain, blood and physical limits of the body. Let's have a look at her work. In 1996, Abramovich introduced Spirit Cooking, a cookbook with essential aphrodisiac recipes, some of which call for the mixture of fresh breast milk and sperm milk. When Wikileaks posted this, it definitely had my attention. Spirit Cooking later took on the form of dinner party entertainment for her donors and friends. The link to cannibalism is obvious. Abramovich furthermore made her appearance in the leaked Podesta emails. Why am I not surprised? I discovered this photo of Abramovich and John of God. Exactly. The very same Brazilian healer who was recently arrested and charged with multiple accounts of abduction, abuse, rape, child trafficking and murder. The very same personal healer of Bill Clinton. This picture is particularly interesting for the Dutch viewers. Before Willem-Alexander became King of the Netherlands, his mother Beatrix was on the throne. She frequented Abramovich's performances. On this particular occasion, she wore a brooch that seems to be a pizza slice. Now this may be far-fetched, but let's see. Meet Maxima Zorreguieta, born in Argentina, and now married to our king, Willem-Alexander van Oranje-Nassau, and daughter of the late Jorge Zorreguieta, who served as cabinet minister during the so-called Dirty War of dictator Jorge Videla. Maxima had four sisters and two brothers. One of her sisters is Dolores, an artist who came to the Netherlands in 2005 to exhibit her work. The exhibition was called Love Romance. Have a look for yourself. or is this insane? To me this looks like an outcry for help from a severely traumatized woman. In June 2018 Maxima's younger sister Inez was found dead in her apartment hung with a scarf from a doorknob. Doorknobs have proven to be lethal for quite a few people lately. In other words, not suicide, but murder. Was Inez Sorogeta about to spill the beans on the cabal? Is that why she was silenced? Could this be true? Let's have a look at some other doorknob victims. Number one: Lorenz Scott, fashion designer and former girlfriend of Nathan Rothschild, one of the world's most wealthy families. According to a longtime lover Mick Jagger, Lorraine was not suicidal. Number two, Chris Cornell, lead singer of the rock band Soundgarden and Audio Slave. According to his family, he suffered from depression due to being sexually abused as a child. He and his wife founded the Chris and Vicky Cornell Foundation to support children suffering the consequences of abuse and neglect. He and his best friend, Chester Bennington, were working on exposing an elite pedophile ring. Cornell was also the main financial backer for the documentary The Silent Children about child sex trafficking. After he died, the project was cancelled. According to his family, Cornell was not suicidal at the time of his death. Interesting detail contradicting the suicide theory was the blood on his head and on the ground was Cornell killed by a stroke on the head and strangulation by means of his exercise belt? Number 3. Jester Bennington Best friend of Chris Cornell and lead singer of Lincoln Park He died two months after Cornell. Bennington also suffered from depression due to being sexually abused as a child by a friend of the family. According to some sources, that friend was John Podesta. Key player in Pizzagate. And when you look at the striking resemblance, Podesta could well be Chester's biological father. When Chester was nine years old, his father abandoned the family after finding out the boy was not his son. Was Podesta both the pedophile family friend and the biological father of Chester Bennington? Is it a coincidence that the logo of his band looks like a broken version of the young boy lover symbol? Number 4. Tim Bergling, a.k.a. Avicii World famous Swedish DJ, musician and record producer According to the first news about his apparent suicide, Bergling was said to have hung himself from a doorknob. Later on the narrative has changed into self-inflicted cuts with a broken wine bottle that led to heavy and lethal bleeding. It took almost two weeks for this official narrative to be published. Berkling's 2015 video clip For a Better Day clearly and shockingly shows child sex trafficking. At the end of the video clip, Bergling turns out to play the part of the abused boy now grown up and ready to take revenge on his abusers Did he actually experience these horrors in his childhood was he murdered for bringing this out into the open? Bergling's family believes he did commit suicide yet his girlfriend expressed her disbelief Number five Annabelle Nielsen ex-wife of Nathan Rothschild who also lost Laurence Scott through hanging, remember? According to her family, she died of a stroke, but according to friends, she was found hanging by a scar from a doorknob. Number six, Aaron Swartz, computer programmer and activist for Internet freedom, for which he founded Demand Progress and Reddit. He died after hacking into MIT and JSTOR, Swartz was arrested and charged with computer fraud. However, one week after his alleged suicide, it became apparent that Swartz had leaked the hacked documents to WikiLeaks. One can only speculate as to the contents. Number seven, Kate Spade, American fashion designer. Spade led delegations to Haiti for the No Ceilings Initiative of the Clinton Foundation, aimed at the global support of women and girls. Haiti is one of the main places on earth for child trafficking, and we've already seen the involvement of the Clintons in part four. What did Kate Spade know that led to her death? Why did her husband Andy appear in public two days after her death wearing a rat mask? Was Kate about to rat to betray the Clintons? Was Andy Spade forced to wear the mask as a warning to others who just might rat? Number eight, Anthony Bourdain, celebrity chef, TV presenter, and author. Bourdain openly criticized Hillary Clinton on multiple occasions. He spoke out strongly against globalization and deeply hoped Henry Kissinger would be called out for the war crimes he committed. Bourdain had been to pedophile Island, Haiti, to shoot an episode for his TV program, No Reservations. A month before his death, he posted a tweet about the wrath of Hillary Clinton he had experienced. Followed by this one, even more outcalling. And then Bourdain died a sudden and unexpected death. So, what are we dealing with here? The world has obviously gone mad. We've already seen the normalization of pedophilia. Now the elite takes it a level higher, worshiping the devil and normalizing cannibalism. You don't believe me? Watch this. Is this really the sign of the devil? Oh yes. Meet Anton LaVey, founder of the Church of Satan, giving the exact same sign. The same Church of Satan, Chelsea Clinton is so fond of. The upside down pentagram containing the horned one plus the upside down cross, it's all there. Satan, we have blood, we have body parts. Statues of Moloch, an expression of the devil, are now watching over several American cities. And only recently a new one was placed in Rome. Let's go back to the Dutch royal family and see how far this insanity goes. You've already met King willem Alexander and his beautiful Argentinian wife, Maxima. They both have very interesting fathers. Maxima's father, Jorge Zorigueta, was Minister of Agriculture in the regime of General Jorge Videla, a military dictator who ruled Argentina from 1976 Till 1981, and who was responsible for the kidnapping, torture, and murder of an estimated 30,000 people. As part of the Videla government, Zorigieta must have known about the atrocities, but he claimed not to have been aware of the so called dirty war. In 2006, Zorigieta was discredited once again during a lawsuit against the top of the Banco Republica for money laundering the profits of drugs and weapons trade. Sorrigueta was on the board of directors between 86 and 96, the time of major deals between the bank and drug cartels, but once again he came out clean due to bribery and corruption. His daughter Maxima didn't meet Vilma Alexander until 1999 in Spain. At least that is the official narrative, which is weird, as the Dutch royal family had known the Zoriquietas for generations. Why did they lie about that? Prince Bernhard, Willem Alexander's grandfather, frequented Argentina and the Zoriquietas even before World War II. Both families had a holiday mansion in Bariloche, a ski area with mostly German visitors and inhabitants. As a matter of fact, Bariloche was a Nazi den where many assessors and Nazi scientists went during Operation Paperclip. I was taught in school that the Nazi leaders were all convicted in the Nuremberg trials, that justice was served. But did you know that only 10 Nazis were hanged and only 7 went to jail? That's it? The big Nuremberg trials? Only 17 of them? Did you actually think, like I did, they all got what they deserved? Well, think again. They had way too much knowledge. Most of them were welcomed with open arms. NATO, NASA, they all lost them. Many assessors, scientists and engineers did not go to the U.S. but to South America instead, especially after their retirement. Argentina was very popular among them, especially the inhabitable Patagonia, where they were safe from post-war Nazi hunters. Bariloche was such a place. Big Nazi names, such as Erich Priebke responsible for and actively participating in the killing of 335 Italian men and boys in 1944, Reinhard Copps, SS officer who helped many Nazis escape to Argentina after the war, Josef Mengele, the angel of death from death camp Auschwitz, where he performed horrific experiments on children, and Adolf Eichmann, one of the major organizers of the Holocaust, All lived in Bariloche, later the favorite ski location of the Dutch royal family and the Zorgetas. Both King Willem-Alexander's father and his grandfather were German. Both were part of the Nazi movement. Klaus von Amsberg, Willem-Alexander's father, was a member of the Hitler Youth. His parents were active participants in Hitler's NSDAP. When journalist Wim Klinkenberg wrote an article about Prince Klaus's Nazi past in Panorama magazine of December 1965. Dutch Prime Minister Kals personally interfered. He was tipped about the contents of the article in which clear evidence was presented that completely contradicted the official story about our prince's past. Kals ordered all 420,000 magazines that had only just been printed to be destroyed. Incriminating evidence documents, letters, etc. against the Dutch royal family were stolen from journalist Glinkenberg's home. The people of the Netherlands were not to find out about the dark side of the royal family. King Wilm-Alexander's grandfather, Bernhard von Lippe-Bistefeld, was member of Hitler's NSDAP, the SA and the SS where he served Himmler's elite cavalry, the Equestrian SS. During the Nuremberg Trials, the Equestrian SS was the only division that was not prosecuted, so that Bernhard van Lippe-Biestefeld, by that time married to the Dutch Queen Juliana van Oranje-Nassau, would remain safe from prosecution and from scrutiny. Do you realize how much power the Dutch royal family must have had to accomplish this? I wonder how many Dutch people know about this. I was taught in school that Bernard was a war hero, that he served the British Secret Service, that he even wanted all 200 Dutch SS's executed at the end of the war. So many lies. At his wedding with Queen Juliana, the orchestra was asked to play the Nazi song of the NSDAP. The director of the orchestra, Peter van Androoy, refused, as did some of the musicians. But Bernhard made it happen. The song was played, many guests offered the Nazi salute, and the musicians who had been willing to play the song were later rewarded with a medal. During the war, Royal Shell gave millions of tons of crude oil to Hitler for free, a deal set up by Prince Bernhard. The crude oil was used for the Nazi tanks to invade and conquer the Netherlands. The people of the Netherlands were handed over to the Nazis by their royal family. Most Dutch people are completely unaware of this. Even though these facts are quite easy to find when you start searching for the truth, we've just never been told. Bernard was corrupt to the core. He accepted a major bribe, $1.1 million, from Lockheed in 1976, he was scrutinized for being president of the Worldwide Fund for Nature and the Prince Bernard Nature Fund, while being a passionate hunter and killer. More about Bernard's hunting parties in a bit. Bernard was a notorious womanizer. The maids of the royal palaces were terrified of him and knew very well they had to keep their doors locked at night. He had several illegitimate children, two of whom he officially acknowledged: Alexia and Alicia. Juicy little detail is that Alicia's mother was the daughter of Nazi test pilot Hannah Reich and Werner von Braun. That's right, the Nazi rocket scientist who was welcomed by the US in 1945 during Operation Paperclip to continue his work for NASA. Werner von Braun and Bernhard both had served in Himmler's cavalry, the Equestrian SS. They went way back. In 1952, Bernard visited his old buddy, Werner, and took advantage of his daughter and left her pregnant. After that, he was no longer on speaking terms with the mother of his illegitimate child, as he put it himself. Bernard was a much more powerful assessor than most people realize. Before, during, and after World War II, He cherished and maintained his contact and friendships with other SS officers, both in Argentina, where he went on so-called trade missions for the Netherlands, and in Germany, which has always been denied by the Royal Family and the Dutch Central Intelligence Agency. Bernhard also founded the Bilderberg Group, where political and industrial leaders gather once a year to discuss, well... Nobody really knows, as it's highly secretive. You can only become part of this exclusive group upon invitation. When Prime Minister Lund tried to enter the conference in 1977, he was literally thrown out. There's one thing all researchers agree on. The Bilderberg Group is definitely cabal. There's one more thing Bernhardt was known for, and this is where it gets really dirty. It's the main reason why I put so much emphasis on our royal family. And this is something everybody needs to know. Come quickly to part eight. The more I studied the hidden side of the European royal families the fur that I fell down the rabbit hole until I stumbled upon something extremely dark I will spare you the gruesome details they are too horrific too sickening I urge you to do your own research Google the names you're about to hear read and listen for yourself and make up your own mind this is where Pizzagate returns to the story Pizzagate is not just an American problem it's a global problem Let's get down to the real definition of Pizzagate. Worldwide, children are stolen and sold to elite pedophile rings. They are tortured, raped and murdered as part of satanic ritual ceremonies. The murderers then drink the children's blood and they eat their flesh. The blood of children who were severely traumatized before they died contains adrenochrome, a natural drug produced by the pineal gland in the brain. Adrenochrome is the highest value drug in the world. The god these people serve is Satan. It's not a god of love and mercy. Whether or not you believe in the existence of Satan is not relevant. They do. And according to each and every eyewitness who has the guts to step forward, Pizzagate is real. Remember Mel Gibson's statements? He was ousted for not wanting to participate. He witnessed it, though, and he is one of the very few who dares to speak about it. Personally, I think it's a miracle that he's still alive. Adrenochrome is real. It is the ultimate drug. This is what you look like when you take it, and this is when you no longer have access to it, thanks to President Trump. There was not as much time between these photos as you may think. children survive the satanic ritual ceremonies. The very few ones that do were not meant to be killed. They were there to sexually serve the elite. Royalty, sheikhs, top politicians, bankers, judges, church leaders, worldwide. Most survivors were born into satanic cult families. When you study all of the survivors' accounts, you will see they have a lot in common. The same description of the atrocity afflicted upon them, the same names of perpetrators, and the same elite they belong to. The problem, however, is that these survivors are not believed by most people. It's easier to assume that they're insane or attention seekers than to face the horrible truth. Furthermore, not many survivors dare to step forward. They are simply too traumatized. I spent countless hours listening to their horrifying accounts. I read police reports, and I am convinced these people are not crazy. They are not attention seekers nor liars. Their stories are consistent. Please do your own research and find out about the following victims and or eyewitnesses. The Dutch Anna marie van Blijenburg. Tozenijenhuis. Annika Lucas and Ronald Bernard. The Irishman, Richard Kerr. Brother and sister, Gabriel and Elisa Dearman from the UK. The American, Sarah Ruth Ashcroft. And the Australian, Fiona Bonnet. Whenever a child sex offender was arrested in the Netherlands and its neighboring Belgium, think Mark Dutroux, Roberts Mickelson's, They all swore they were supplying children for a large elite network. They were not believed. They were presented to the public as lone wolves, operating on their own. Most viewers will now, once again, experience some more cognitive dissonance. But hey, remember when the first reports emerged about the sexual abuse of boys and girls by Catholic priests and nuns? At first, nobody believed it. People were too shocked to handle it, but now, so many years later, it is common knowledge to most people. The Church paid millions of dollars to its victims in an effort to silence them. We now have the evidence, we have numbers, statistics. People have grown used to the idea that priests, bishops and cardinals rape children on an enormous scale. And if you think the popes washed their hands in innocence, you're in for a big shock. Now I realize that satanic cult offerings of babies and children is a step further than sexual abuse, but I can assure you that more and more victims will soon speak up, and step by step people can work their way through their cognitive dissonance so that soon we'll be able to save these children. Where do these children come from? How come they can simply disappear without a trace? Without worried parents who report them missing? They come from orphanages, children's homes, youth detention centers. Some are homeless. Many are refugees fleeing wars. These children are stolen, sold. We're talking the fastest growing trade here. According to the survivors, not only the Dutch but also the British royal family are heavily involved in all of this. Back in the 1980s, a major controversy arose when it became clear that Prince Charles was a very close friend of Jimmy Savile, a notorious pedophile. Not only Charles, the entire royal family loved Savile, as did Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. Savile was named by many victims and was said to have been extremely violent and cruel. He was never prosecuted and died a free man. Then, there's the interesting close friendship between Prince Andrew and convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein held several young women as sex slaves, hiring them to his elite friends, such as Prince Andrew. The royal family has always denied the allegations. There's more. In 2015, a video emerged, shot by a Swedish tourist at Buckingham Palace. It shows a naked boy climbing out of a window of the palace using a bed sheet. The boy cannot hold on and falls to the ground. The mainstream media tried their utmost best to debunk the video. Buckingham Palace declined to comment on the video and the Metropolitan Police said they had no reports of the incident. Now I don't know what it is with the royal family but something's definitely weird. Have a look at Prince William's wife Kate right after giving birth in 2018. Why on earth would she pick a dress that is identical to the one in the horror movie Rosemary's Baby? Rosemary gives birth to Satan's child. What kind of an insane coincidence is that? According to the satanic ritual abuse survivors, the popes too were and are heavily involved. Pope Francis, Pope Benedict. Like I said, they do not wash their hands in innocence. On the contrary, Both Pope Francis and the Dutch Prince Bernhard loved hunting parties according to the survivors. Once again I will do you the great favor of sparing you the disgusting details but it boils down to this. The hunting parties took place in secret in forests most of which belong to royal estates in several European countries. The participants all part of the before-mentioned elite satanic pedophile cult would hunt down children, rape them, murder them, and cut off their genitals as a trophy. In February 2013, former Pope Benedict Joseph Ratzinger was prosecuted and sentenced by default for crimes against humanity by the International Tribunal into Crimes of Church and State. Ratzinger's crimes included child trafficking and protecting priests who had raped children. Is this why he stepped down, even though being a pope is a nomination for life? Interesting little detail is that lightning struck St. Peter's twice, only moments after his resignation. The same verdict followed for Pope Francis. One accusation was added, complicity in murder in Argentina. Others who were also prosecuted and sentenced for crimes against humanity were the British Queen Elizabeth Windsor and her husband Prince Philip, former Canadian Prime Minister Harper, and 27 other dignitaries. Whether or not this will lead to arrests, time will tell. For now, both the Pope and the Royal Family enjoy immunity. The International Tribunal into Crimes of Church and State extensively investigated the case of the rape, torture and murder of 50,000 native children in Canada. The United Church of Canada, the Anglican Church and the British Royal Family played a major role in this case, as did the Dutch Royal Family, who fled to Canada to be saved from World War II. As far back as 1942, an investigative journalist of the Canada Gazette thoroughly studied the case and came to the shocking conclusion that 50,000 Native children had disappeared from 80 Canadian Indian residential schools, and that 31 mass grave sites had been found inside the school grounds containing the remains of children. Now, as shocking as this may be, it is nothing new. On a regular basis, mass baby and children's graves are discovered, often near nunneries. In some cases, we don't know exactly what happened. In other cases, we do know, due to forensic evidence and the eyewitness accounts of survivors. Mel Gibson was right when he said that satanic cults with child sacrifices are nothing new. It goes way back into history. For thousands of years, children have been murdered to please Satan, Lucifer, Baal, Moloch, or whatever you want to call him. I have found many paintings of child sacrifice in Catholic churches during my own research. It's part of human history, but that doesn't mean it's okay. know about the aspects and the human sacrifices and we can deal with that for it's old but until recently I was not aware of any of this I'd never heard about Pizzagate and satanic Luciferian cults with child sacrifice I thought it belonged to the past to the dark ages well I guess we're still living in the dark ages all of the satanic cults are connected worldwide People at the highest level are only at the highest level because they participate. And once you're in, you're in for life, through blackmail with pictures and video footage taken in secret. And some don't even need blackmail, they simply thrive on the pain and suffering of others. Some names have been named, others will follow soon. The people will be shocked to the core when this comes out. Let me give you one piece of advice. When the video of Hillary Clinton and her right hand Huma Aberdeen raping, torturing, mutilating and killing a little girl comes out in the open, do not watch it. You will not sleep again. certain things I will not share with you here, simply because they are too horrific. Like this shower torture of a child by John Podesta. Search and find it for yourself if you like. I wish to wake people up, not traumatise them. The same goes for the red shoes. You want to know what they're made of? Do your own research. I'll give you a small hint. The tradition of red shoes for the elite goes all the way back to the Byzantine tradition when kings would wear them as symbols of bloody martyrdom. The video, by the way, was found on the confiscated laptop of Anthony Weiner, the ex-husband of Huma Aberdeen. It was stored together with thousands of other files in a folder called Life Insurance. Talk about blackmail. Wiener, by the way, was sentenced to serve 21 months in prison for sending sexual texts to a minor back in 2017. Oh, and the good news is, Wiener's laptop has officially been accepted in court as evidence. I can assure you we'll be hearing a lot more about its contents very soon. Now, what happens when you try to make any of this public? Either your TV career ends right there and then, or you get a heart attack. Or your plane pressures. Or you end up dead in a hotel room. Or you are found with a bullet in your back. Or you commit suicide. And guess what? I haven't even shown you the real top of the Pyramid of Power yet. Just the visible top. Did you think the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, George Soros, government leaders, even the royal families. Did you think they are the top of the 1%? They are not. There is a very dark order above them all, making puppets of everybody else, even of kings and queens. Ever heard of the Jesuit order? Did you know that there are three popes instead of one? Ever heard of Agenda 21, of its sequel, the depopulation program? This is so big, it does not fit in this first documentary. It will form a film of its own, which I promise to present in the very near future. What I wish to give you now is hope. After all of this misery, it's time for some light. And the good news is, there is plenty of that. Come with me, finally, to the good news in part 9 and 10. When Q arose on October 28, 2017, little did we know that a new era had started. Something big, something massive, started unfolding before our very eyes, but most people remained completely in the dark. Through the Q drops, hints, clues, and questions were planted like seeds, waiting for humanity to be picked up, researched, and unraveled. Bit by bit, We, the people, woke up. Using other means than the mainstream media, the QAnon started communicating with each other through Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. The same social media that was set up by the cabal to monitor the people 24-7 were now used to find each other and to spread news and findings. There was no stopping us anymore. People in France went out into the streets in yellow vests, showing President Macron that they no longer complied. What started off with small groups evolved into mass protests. For over a year now, tens of thousands of people have been gathering every Saturday. Not just in France, but in Spain, Germany, the Netherlands, Sweden, Bulgaria, Turkey, Poland, Hungary, Taiwan, Australia, Iraq, Israel. The mainstream media tried to make people believe it was just a fading phenomenon, but the people saw through their lies. George Soros then intervened in his own special way. He paid his people to mingle with the Yellow Vests and start riots. The ever successful way to discredit a group of protesters with peaceful intentions made them look like vandals and aggressors. Soros' rats attacked the police. But this strategy didn't work either. His rats were not very smart. They forgot to put on yellow vests, and in the heat of the fight, they shouted, Paris, Paris, Antifa! Then they forgot who they were supposed to attack, so they went for the yellow vests as well. Macron got scared. He told the French police to strike down the protests with all means necessary. But the police officers took off their helmets in solidarity with the yellow vests. What else could the cabal do? Use extreme violence. Army forces were deployed. Snipers were put on rooftops to shoot at the yellow vests if necessary. Thousands of people got injured people died. France is in the middle of a civil war, but the mainstream media remains silent. Twenty-three yellow vests have died for believing in a better world. South America, too, shows massive protests, where people demand their corrupt governments to step down. The world is experiencing the biggest revolution ever. The worst nightmare of the cabal has come true. The people have woken up. And contrary to other revolutions that humanity went through in the past, this revolution is one of knowledge, understanding of how things are run by the elite and the willingness to work together to create a better world. A revolution of the people can only work when there's help at the top. That help was never there in the past, but now there is. That is what makes this revolution different. We have an ally at the top, an ally that we refer to as Q. Q is a group of people, not an individual. The Intel Q provides is top level. I believe Q comprises of Donald J. Trump and some of his most loyal army generals. Without the help of the army top, the plan that is unfolding would never stand a chance. But there's more to Q than meets the eye. I am convinced there are some secret components that will be revealed soon. President Trump and the entire Q team are working out a plan that has been in the making for the past 20 years. A plan so all-encompassing, it took this long to calculate every step, every move to perfection. Every possible outcome of each and every step was thoroughly mapped out, leading to the next optimal move. We're talking probability calculation at the highest level. How do we know? Because Q made predictions of events that we, the people, could never have foreseen. President Trump gave clues in his speeches that pointed to events that were about to unfold but most people didn't even notice them. The mainstream media made fun of them, but the QAnons recognized them and realized just how brilliant Q really was. Let me give you a few examples. In the middle of a press conference in November 2017, Trump stopped a few times to take a sip of water from a small plastic bottle. It seemed weird completely overdone. He repeated this a month later in the middle of a talk about national security. He held the glass with two hands like a child. The mainstream media went hysterical, claiming the president was either retarded or suffering from some degenerative disease. The Anons, however, knew immediately that he was pointing out something. The water bottle contained Fiji water, Fiji Water is bottled on the Isle of Wakanda. In 1973, Wakanda was bought by a Canadian businessman, David Gilmore. In 1996, he founded Fiji Waters. In 2016, Claire Bronfman, heiress to the multi-billion dollar Seagram liquor fortune, bought 80% of Wakanda from Gilmore and financed the setup of Nixium on the island. Exactly, the sex cult run by Keith Renier, who branded his initial into the women that he kept on the island as sex slaves, who were lured in by sweet-faced Alison Mack, the small actress. The ball started rolling, arrests were made, and in April 2019, Renier was found guilty on all charges, including racketeering and sex trafficking. Some of his victims were minors. Claire Bronfman and her sister Sarah pleaded guilty on all charges, as did Alison Mack. More incriminating things will come to the service soon. Nexium donated a large amount of money to the Clinton Foundation. Claire Bronfman was CEO of a company called Bronfman Rothschild, as was Evelyn Rothschild and his wife, Lynn. Remember them from the previous episodes? Isn't it fascinating how the same key players keep popping up? There's one more disturbing thing about this case, which involves the Dalai Lama. In May 2009, the Bronfman sisters organized an event with the Dalai Lama in Albany. There was a lot of criticism towards the Dalai Lama. How could he connect his good name with a sex cult? But he decided to go anyway. Ten days after the event, the Dalai Lama Trust was founded. According to its tax filings, the trust received 2.2 million dollars in donations in its first year. Was the Dalai Lama bought to connect himself to Nexium? According to an inside Nexium member, this was indeed the case. The Dalai Lama's office and the Bronfman sisters denied the allegation. Now that this has come out into the open, it would be nice if the Dalai Lama would at least explain why he went along with the sex cult or apologize. But instead, he blames Trump on ethical behavior. Now, why was the Fiji case so important? Nexium will soon turn out to be just a small fish compared to what's coming. Think crimes against children, sex trafficking, and satanic child sacrifice. Think big names like the Clintons, the Obamas, and the Podestas. What Trump did was he started off with a case important enough to be presented to the people, but small enough not to completely shock them. He chose Nexium to let the public get used to the major offences that are about to be revealed. This is what we call red pilling the people, a term coined in the movie The Matrix. Do you want the blue pill or the red pill? If you choose the red pill, you will be shown the truth and there's no way back. Here's another example of Trump's brilliant strategy. In June 2017, Melania boarded the presidential plane on a way to visit a youth detention center with Mexican migrant children who have been separated from their parents. She wore a coat with the text. I really don't care, do you? It was a strange choice, for the coat wasn't fashionable at all, and the text was quite provocative, to say the least. Once again, the mainstream media went into a frenzy, but the QAnons knew the Trumps were giving yet another clue. The coat turned out to be a Zara product, an investigation made clear that Zara made use of slave labor. As a result, Armancio Ortega, founder and CEO of Zara, resigned six months after Melania's action. Yet another clue that was being given by Melania was the fact that these children were not separated from their parents but saved from child traffickers. More than eight and a half thousand CEOs resigned over the last two years many for unclear reasons just like Hugh had predicted. Was Trump indeed draining the swamp, like he had promised? One of Q's crumbs that was repeated several times was, We have the server. It quite clearly referred to Hillary Clinton's server, the one she tried so hard to destroy before it would be used against her in a court of law. But how did the Q team lay their hands on it? The clue was given in Helsinki, Finland when Trump met Vladimir Putin on July 16, 2018. Trump openly asked the audience, where is the server? Where are the servers? They are missing. Where are they? What happened to Hillary's emails? 33,000 emails. They're gone. Just gone. I think it's a disgrace. Remember the scene with the soccer ball? Putin handed Trump the ball and said, the ball is now in your court. Trump took the ball and said, this will go to my son, Baron. He then threw the ball to Melania. What was so special about the ball? Why the big smiles and the twinkling in their eyes? What was going on here? Why did Melania post a tweet with this picture later that year? Many QAnons agree on the theory that the content of the service was inside that soccer ball, containing enough incriminating evidence to put a lot of people in Washington, D.C. behind bars for life. Try evidence for the Uranium One scandal, where Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State, and with knowledge and approval of President Obama, gave Russia control of 20% of America's uranium by approving the Rosatom deal. The Russian company Rosatom had bought the Canadian company Uranium One in 2010, three years after the latter purchased Eurasia, owned by Frank Justra, our friend with a pedophile logo from part four. Remember? Justra had officially stepped down after the purchase, so why did he donate $145 million to the Clinton Foundation right after the Rosatom deal was signed? Why on earth was he too embraced by the Dalai Lama? why the hell did he get the Dalai Lama Humanitarian Award when he is involved up to his ears in child trafficking? Why did Bill Clinton receive $500,000 for a talk in Moscow right after the Rosatom deal was announced? Do you know what we're looking at here? Bribery, corruption, pay-to-play, money laundering and high treason. This was the real Russian collusion. Oh, by the way, why did Trump say the soccer ball was going to his son Barron? According to the insiders, Barron is extremely intelligent with an IQ of 146. He is said to be incredible with computers, especially when it comes to hacking, cracking codes, passwords, etc. Bearing this in mind... I so understand the facial expressions that one fine day in Helsinki. Soon, very soon, there will be arrests. Mass arrests. Everything has been laid out. Twenty years of preparations. The CIA, FBI, DOJ, NSA. Every three-letter agency has been cleared of deep-state actors. How can you make arrests when the agencies are corrupted? You cannot. That's why Comey, McCabe, Brennan, and other key players had to go. That's why some of them suddenly stepped down while others were fired. The stage has been set. The world will be in for a major shock. How on earth are people going to respond when it becomes clear that Obama, Pelosi, Schumer, Feinstein, Strzok, Page, the Clintons that they all tried everything they could possibly think of to impeach the president of the US? We will soon see that it went much further than just spying. It went as far as organized murder attempts. The cabal, the deep state, tried to assassinate the president of the United States on multiple occasions. They tried to force Trump to go to war with North Korea, but after annihilating the Cabal strongholds there, he brought peace. They now tried to force him to go to war with Iran, but I can assure you he will do the exact same thing. Annihilate the Cabal strongholds first, and then bring peace. Q said it would happen this way. First Korea, then Iran, Israel last. Then there is Obama's high treason. Everything you were told about him by the mainstream media will soon turn out to be false, falsified on purpose. Soon we will be presented with hard evidence concerning his birth certificate, his ties to the Muslim Brotherhood, the extremist party behind ISIS, pictures such as these will start to serve us. Obama and the Clintons integrated the Muslim Brotherhood in the American government at the highest level. Remember Huma Abedin, Hillary's right hand? Her parents were directly connected to the Muslim Brotherhood, as is her brother. Where do you think that leaves her? Remember John McCain? What was he doing in Iraq with the ISIS top four? Why did Trump say they caught the five most wanted ISIS leaders? Not four, five. Did you notice something weird about the flag on his coffin? It was wrinkled. Only traitors get wrinkled flags. It was a code. High treason, death penalty. Did you really believe he died of cancer? Do you still believe Osama bin Laden was the enemy? That he was responsible for 9-11? That he set up Al-Qaeda? Uh-uh. He was a CIA agent before he became the enemy. His American name was Tim Osman. Osama Osman. Did you hear about Team 6? The Navy SEALs who killed him? They all died three months later when the helicopter crashed. No eyewitnesses who might once tell the tale of what really happened. We've been lied to on a scale we cannot fathom just yet. History books will have to be rewritten. America was sold to the highest bidder by Obama, the Clintons and the Bushes. Do you realize the state of shock people are going to be in when the truth finally hits the surface? Do you understand why Guantanamo Bay has been fully upgraded and expanded? Do you have any idea how many sealed indictments there are, waiting for the perfect moment to be unsealed so that arrests can be made? More than 100,000. Many will be prosecuted for treason, some for high treason. High treason means capital punishment, death penalty. There will be chaos and shock. But... There will be guidance from totally unexpected mystery guests. This moment in time is one that will make history. One that is unprecedented in the history of mankind. Do you think I'm exaggerating? Find out in our final part, number 10. When everything we've seen in the previous episodes is presented to the public with undeniable evidence, people will be in shock. The normal way to deal with shocking information is to first deny it and ridicule the messenger, then get scared, angry or depressed, and finally accept it as the new paradigm. This will take some time. I believe we're going to need a spokesperson to convey to the world what happened. Somebody who will be believed by everybody, Democrats and Republicans alike. That person cannot be Donald Trump. He will be hated by the Democrats, no matter how much peace he brings upon them. If I were to choose, for the U.S. at least, it would have to be JFK Jr. John John, as his father used to call him loved and trusted by the entire nation, mourned by every American citizen. Too bad he is no longer amongst us. Or is he? When I first heard about the possibility of him still being alive, I thought, oh God, not yet another conspiracy theory. But when I did some more research, I started doubting. This is an aerial photograph of JFK's memorial That's right, it's a cue. Remember this code? It was engraved in the ship bell on JFK's boat. Where we go one, we go all. JFK was murdered because he wanted to expose and get rid of the cabal. He intended to start with the CIA, just like Donald Trump. He too knew that the CIA had turned into an uncontrollable monster that no president or government could restrain, but he had no idea what he was up against. JFK was assassinated. Nobody will ever forget these pictures. John John saluting at his father's funeral. The entire nation mourned. Junior grew up to be a lawyer. He swore he would avenge his father and take his killers to court even if he had to bring down the government, as he put it. He ran for the New York Senate seat in 1999, as did Hillary Clinton. John would have won by miles. He was born to be the next president of the US. But it wasn't meant to be. On July 16, 1999, his plane crashed into the ocean. There were no survivors. All three on board, John, his wife Carolyn and her sister Lauren died upon impact. Their bodies were retrieved and cremated. The remains were kept in Tiffany blue boxes before they were scattered at sea. The entire nation was in shock. Donald J. Trump was in shock. He and John were close friends. When John died, Trump swore he would finish his mission. He promised he would take the murderers of JFK, Senior and Junior, to court. He swore to drain the swamp. Could John Junior still be alive? Is it possible that he staged his own death, knowing there was no way he would survive the wrath of the Cabal? The only way to possibly fulfill the mission was to stay low. A master plan was developed, and in the course of twenty years, every single step was analyzed and executed. An entire team was put together, with insiders at the top, who were willing to give their lives for the course, the annihilation of the cabal, and the liberation of the people. They left hints and clues as to inform those who had already woken up to the truth. Trump communicated directly with the people by means of his Twitter account, thus avoiding the corrupted mainstream media. In every speech and every tweet, he used codes for the QAnons to pick up on. He used spelling errors such as covfe instead of coffee, referring to a new act about the saving of all social media posts by the president. The act was introduced 12 days after Trump's tweet. He wrote hamburgers instead of hamburgers, referring to people who are below the devil and who commit acts that even the devil would consider evil. He wrote smoking gun instead of smoking gun, referring to the secret, perverted orgies of John Podesta and friends. Trump's clumsy behavior showed his victory over cabal key players. Every move, every so-called error, every little detail was important. Everything was a communication with the people. Remember when Donald and Melania Trump were welcomed by the Obamas at the White House on day one of Trump's presidency? Remember the gift Melania gave to Michelle? The Tiffany Blue Box? What does that remind you of? Remember the Tiffany blue coat Melania was wearing? So many references to JFK senior and junior. There's one more clue that John might indeed have staged his own death. In September 1995, he founded and edited a glossy politics lifestyle magazine called George. In this particular edition, the cover seems to be giving a lot of clues. Survival Guide to the Future? Interesting. Bill Gates on World Domination? Okay. Hillary Clinton, Indictment Day. Will Hillary get busted? Wow! The lady reappears in the editing room. In the background, there she is. Platform 2020. That's the year of the next presidential election. And then it reads, buckle your chin strap and hold on as George enters the time warp and re-emerges in the year 2020. Time warp? Is this John communicating that he will reappear in 2020? If John is alive, would he show himself to the public from time to time? Disguised, of course, yet clear enough for the enormous to see. Meet Vincent Fusca. Presented to the public as a Trump enthusiast and volunteer at the Trump rallies. Now I know, he's not the spitting image of John Jr. Different nose, different mouth, not quite as handsome. But hey, if they can make Eddie Murphy look like this, everything is possible, right? Bear that in mind vincent fusca does not seem to have a past no old pictures no family tree nothing he suddenly appeared his name means conqueror of the dark he often wears a fedora hat very similar to jfk senior and this i find interesting his nose changes sometimes it's bigger than john's sometimes it's not Now I can understand why John would change his appearance slightly from time to time, as to give hints to the QAnons. But why would a Trump fan do such a thing? Then there's the mystery lady in the audience, always close to Fusca. My, doesn't that big smile look familiar? What about Lauren, Carolyn's sister? The two were very close. Maybe Carolyn didn't want to disappear without her? Maybe she was informed on the plan? And maybe she decided to join them and stay low as well? Could this be Carolyn, presented as Fusca's colleague at the rallies? When Q was asked, is JFK Jr. alive, the answer was no. But when Senior dies, Junior no longer is Junior. The question should have been... Is JFK alive? Where does all of this leave us? With the perfect spokesman when he is needed. And that may be sooner than you think. As soon as the FISA documents are released, the sealed indictments are unsealed and the arrests are made, that's when I expect him to step forward. The world is in the middle of the greatest transition ever. An entire era of suppression of the masses is about to end. I doubt if we can fathom the vastness of what is about to be revealed, nor the impact it will have on the world. Think about it. World peace to start off with. That's literally what Trump said to a reporter who asked if he'd be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. The prize will be world peace. Can you imagine a world without war? I don't think we can. We've been led to believe that war is normal, that it's part of being human. Well, it's not. Suppression isn't normal. Poverty isn't normal. There's enough food to feed the entire world. The problem is uneven distribution of means, money, and food. Taxes aren't normal. They're not even legal. Trump has already stated he will get rid of the Fed and several taxes, including income tax. As we've seen in part two, they are illegal, unconstitutional. Can you imagine how much money can be saved that way? Can you even begin to imagine what even distribution will look like? Then there's the impact all of this is going to have on our use of energy resources. I'm sure you've heard of Nikola Tesla, the famous inventor of many beautiful things in the area of electricity, magnetism and physics in general. An absolute brilliant mind who wanted to share his invention of free energy with the world. This was a thorn in the side of the cabal, who made billions of profit with oil, coal, and other fossil fuels. Tesla was arrested, his work was stolen. All his inventions were seized by the American government. John Trump, Donald's uncle, was a brilliant physicist, electrical engineer, and inventor. During World War II, He joined the National Defense Research Committee. In 1943, he reviewed and analyzed the Tesla papers right after Tesla died. That's right. Tesla's inventions on clean and free energy, on anti-gravity, and on much more that has been kept hidden from the public because there was no money in it, fell into the hands of Donald Trump's uncle, whom he loved and greatly admired. Guess how that fits in Q's plan to save the world. Oh, and there's one more thing. Take a look at this picture. Doesn't John Trump remind you of someone? Somebody very important in the truth movement? Julian Assange. Could he be John Trump's son? Donald Trump's cousin? Let's put it this way. Nothing surprises me anymore. And it sure makes sense. And bearing in mind all the magnificent inventions of both Nikola Tesla and John Trump, I wouldn't be surprised either if they had invented a time machine. After all, if you can bend space, which was definitely within the reach of Tesla, then you can change time. If quantum physics is correct, if you can really jump from one timeline to another parallel one, you can time travel, change certain things and go back without people noticing a thing. Unless you leave clues behind, like a magazine that seems totally out of place. Like Q predictions of specific outcomes that could impossibly have been foretold, not even with the use of quantum probability theory. Is that how Q works? With direct knowledge of the future, through various timelines, probability waves? Is that why Trump is still alive and even missile attacks have been counted? Is this how Q manages to predict exact poll numbers and events to the minute and second precise as encoded in the Q-drops and the Q-clock? Is this how the mysterious author Ingersoll Lockwood was able to write a book in 1889 and another one four years later about young Baron Trump and his adventures through a space-time portal guided by a man called Don, the master of all masters? All current topics are in the books. Dirty politics, an unexpected candidate, a man called Pence, Russia, even the exact location of the Trump Tower. 1889? The mysterious author also wrote a book about the last president. Hmm... Furthermore, his name appears on a watch, the Ingersoll Trump pocket Watch. This same sort of watch used by the White Rabbit in Alice of Wonderland, a tale often referred to by Hugh. Time travel? The world as we know it is about to end. What is awaiting us is a new era of peace, liberty, equality and harmony. The dawn of the golden age as described in each and every source text. I have grown to fully trust Don, master of all masters. He may seem rude, clumsy and silly from time to time, but he has earned my trust in the past two and a half years when I suspiciously followed his every move. He is a genius, a 5D chess player, a man with a huge heart. There will be a relatively short bridge period between the two in which people can adjust to the new paradigm and its energies. I don't think there will be much chaos. Everything is ready to be implemented. A new banking system without interest, new ways to educate our children, a new medical system without poisonous, addictive chemicals, and so on and so forth. All we have to do is be patient, watch everything unfold, trust the plan, do whatever we can to help others wake up and remain focused and ready, ready to assist, ready to help create a beautiful new world. Some people will wake up faster than others. Remain calm and in service to all. Or as Q once put it so beautifully, as long as you sleep, we will fight for you. Where we go one, we go all.